Hello, this is Reverend Colette Duval-Pandela. Welcome to our Wolf Wisdom Gathering on Nature's Path in Nature's Classroom. Today I'm joined by Chinoa. She is a, a wonderful, loving spirit, a forgiving uh, creature. Uh, she gets fierce when she's crossed too far and those boundaries go too far. But for the rest of the day and for the rest and the most part, she is always there always consistent, always loving, and always forgiving. And she's here to help me talk about Set Love Free. So here we go. Good morning, everyone. This is Chinoa. Chinoa means dove. I'm going to let her go say hi. <laughs> there you go. Go ahead. So happy Easter. <laughs> she gets scared. <laughs> I know there's Dakota, they'll be fine. <laughs> so it's April Fool's Day and Easter Sunday. So happy to both, especially for those who fool around and do <laughs> those kind of <laughs> jokes that I never appreciated. Um uh, I chose Chinoa for this um, idea of love and forgiveness because this little girl has, um, she's the most loving spirit unless you just push her a little too far. And then she goes on the defense. <laughs> and uh, she's very powerful and very strong about that. But, um, and then she's completely and totally forgiving, you know? She has this nature about her, and she doesn't pick fights. She doesn't, with the other girls, you know, they all have their little poses and stuff, and she's like, whatever, whatever. You guys fuss behind me, I don't care. But if you pick at her and pick at her and pick at her, she's gonna get you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, she won't take that. But the thing that I wanted to talk about, you know, because of this idea of Easter and the resurrection and, and a lot of the um, uh, celebrations that happen around this time of year, she has this, she has this forgiving nature. It doesn't matter what the others will do to her or pick on her or jump on her or take her food. She just, the next time she sees them, it's like, hi. <laughs> If only we could be so generous of spirit, which is kind of what I want to talk about, you know. Carl Jung says this, as far as we can discern, the sole purpose of human existence is to kindle a light in the darkness of mere being. Kindle a light. That's our sole purpose. So with that, I'm going to start off with our Ophelin meditative song. For those of you who haven't been here, just join in or just sit in your chairs. Uncross yourselves. Let the chair hold you. While the earth has the chair, you can't fall, so you don't have to hold on to yourself. You 
Here's what I know. Welcome, you guys. Come on in. <laughs> Here's what I know. I understand that there is an intelligence, a creative force that we are made from and every living thing as well, that we are all one in this universe of creation and that it's magnificent and it's beautiful and it is um, full of the expression of love. And we're here today to set love free <laughs> in this um, time of spring, in this time of Easter, in this time of understanding who we are, why we're here. And I know that I am and each and every single one of you has a unique divine purpose to serve. Otherwise, you would not be present. Yeah. <laughs> and so I claim for you that your divine purpose and your heart's desire is being met despite appearances to the contrary. And that your heart inside of you is the answer to every single question about your life that you need to know. That that voice inside of you is talking to you and leading you all the time into the light, into your purpose, into the reason for your beingness, using your unique talents that only you can purposefully use on this planet at this time. So with great gratitude, I say thank you. I know that we're held in the hands of grace. I'm thankful for the good that has come before me, the good that is here now, the good that is coming into the future and into infinity. And I release these words knowing that there is universal truth to them. And I know that we are all held in these hands of love, these hands of grace, to set our love and our spirits free. And I say, and so it is. Amen for those of you who <laughs> say amen, which means so be it. Aho, which is the native. A namaste. Um, I was looking up um, references to resurrection and what that means because that this is this weekend that is um, uh, celebrated all over the world with this idea. And uh, there's a biblical reference and definition which I loved, and this is the one that I loved. A person who is resurrected is not reunited with his soul. He is recreated as a living soul. So I believe in all kinds of resurrections. I had a resurrection when I remembered who I was. After years and years and years of struggling, thinking that I didn't matter, that I didn't belong here, that some kind of mistake that was made. You know what I mean? And when I started to remember and got and could embody that I am perfect, whole, and complete, mathematically correct, you know? My name is Colette and I'm supposed to be here. And that day, that moment, because you can see in my face, when I wrote that down and said, I remember now, that day I was resurrected. And that's what it felt like. I'm going to read it again. A person who is resurrected is not reunited with his soul. He is recreated as a living soul. I am all I am ever going to be. You know, sometimes trapped in this body. 
with this expression, but I have learned that the energy of my beingness is unlimited. It is limitless. We have no idea to the limits that the energy that we have, if we could just actually have an experience and embody how powerful we really are, how much energy emanates from us. My teachings, my spiritual background teaches us that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. Not human beings waiting for a spiritual experience. Right? <laughs> just even thinking about that, that's just awful. <laughs> you know? That's just awful. I saw a picture of a Native American man who was 129 years old. Oh, my God. And the face on him and the amount of life that he lived in that face. You know, can you imagine if it was with the idea that we're just human beings waiting for the spiritual experience for 129 years? <laughs> and there's some philosophies of thought like that. Do you know that we're meant to not have this precious idea of ourselves? We are meant to suffer, and all that is done is created human suffering beyond measure everywhere. Just the idea that I can remember who I am gives me my own self, my own goosebumps, you know? Some people call those God bumps, you know? And you get that recognition where you're in the right place hearing the right thing at the right time. How could this be wrong? How can the light that I can feel coming out of me just talking about it be the wrong thing? which I don't believe it is, obviously. C.S. Lewis says, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. You have a body. <laughs> you know, when was your awakening? Are you still waiting for awakening? I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. A lot of people who are going through a spiritual practice or, you know, looking for a spiritual way or looking for a lightheartedness, looking for some peace in their life, they're trying to fix something about themselves first. Which to me is also madness. What are you trying to fix? All you need to do is remember who you are. And then you're awake. <laughs> you know? It's like the awakening comes from remembering. And embracing that idea of your own heart, your own self, your own unique abilities that you and nobody else but you can go out and do your mission like nobody else and that you're needed and that you matter. That is a universal truth to almost every spiritual practice that I have ever read and that has been dumbed down, do you know what I mean, and domesticated in a way to mean the opposite to the followers of those things. To create a sense of power for just a certain few. And so when you wake up, you're awakening. Ray Charles says this, what is soul? It's like electricity. We don't really know what it is, but it's a force that can light a room. He couldn't even see. <laughs> didn't even see but he could feel the room was lit 
Voltaire says, it is not more surprising to be born twice than once. Everything in nature is resurrection. Just before you go, go watch these trees starting to bloom where the buds are. The next time you're here, they'll probably be in full bloom, you know? But it takes such a short amount of time, and yet it's inching its way in microseconds which we can't even see. And yet every single year, these deciduous trees here lose everything, and they look dead, and they're not. And every single season, they resurrect and come back to life. There are so many squirrels chirping around this <laughs> property. <laughs> Last night, the frogs, it sounds like we have been overtaken. <laughs> the echoing through this canyon. Everything's alive and awake just in the last three days. That's what it feels like. Tuesday morning here, there was a 30-degree wind chill. And then the next day, it was cold. And then by the afternoon, it was spring. <laughs> it was crazy. Meister Eckhart says, be willing to be a beginner every single morning. Are you willing to do that? Are you egoless enough to wake up and go, what can I learn today? Wow, what can the world teach me today? Who am I going to run into that's going to tell me something that I didn't know before? We had a lady staying here at the um, Airbnb, and uh, she was helping me um, hang some new prayer ties in the tree, and she told me that she literally escaped fire. Fire is her element. But she died in a fire and came back. And she's written a book about it, and it's on my desk. She gifted it to me. So talk about a resurrection. She had what most people call a near-death experience, but she said she wasn't here anymore. And then she came back and survived fire, literal fire. You know, you hear things like that and you go, whoa. Or you go, oh, they probably were wrong. The doctors didn't know. And there was a little, this is, you know what I mean? It's like the diagnosis must have been wrong. <laughs> Let's not listen to her experience, you know, <laughs> though it doesn't matter. I don't know scientifically how to explain that. Probably she doesn't either, but her experience is real to her. It was an awakening and a resurrection for her, and who am I to deny her experience? It's my job to embrace it and listen to it and see what I can learn from it. That's my job. Mary Carr says this. If you live in the dark a long time and the sun comes out, you do not cross into it whistling. There's an initial uprush of relief at first, then for me, anyway, a profound dislocation. My old assumptions about how the world works are buried, yet my new ones aren't yet operational. There's been a death of sorts, but without a few days in hell, no resurrection is possible. So you come out of a dark room and turn the lights on. What is your orientation, right? You feel blinded. You cover your eyes. You want to dim the light again and go back to another level of comfort, right? You don't, don't go rushing from the darkness into the light like, oh, wow, this is really cool. You can't even see it first. Your vision is blurry. What if you wake up in a different place than you were? 
before and you've never seen this place before? Are you gonna, how would you orient yourself? Just like the wolves, every time they meet new people, they have to get orientated again. Every time I walk into a room I've never been before and there's people there, I'm like, okay, <laughs> back to my car. <laughs> you know, depending on your personality. And some people cope with that in different ways. I'm like, okay, just take it all in and breathe. It's a new experience. And then some people are like, wow, who are you? <laughs> it depends on your personality. It depends on who you are. I come from an untrusting place. So my level of trust going into a new situation has to grow from where I am in a new circumstance. That's my MO, I just know it. I don't punish myself for it or judge anymore for about it. There's nothing to change about that, except to breeze through and trust that I'm gonna be okay in a new environment, in a new place, with new information. Then what am I gonna learn? But that I have to wake up with. What new can I learn today? What miracle am I going to hear about? Friday. Friday, there was a, um, a little film company that was doing an interview with a family that lives in, in Lancaster. And um, it's going to air on Channel 26. I don't know when, but I'll let you know. But um, it's called um, Fernanda's uh, Miracle. And the reason is, is because she is 12 years old. She had a brain-eating bacteria. And they had to cut her whole head open and take the bacterial and the diseased part of the brain out. When she woke up, she couldn't move anything from the right side of her body. And her grandmother started praying and praying and praying and praying, and now she's just fine. And of course, once again, the doctors are like, uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Scientifically, they can't explain it. but they can't deny her experience because I spent some time with her and she's just fine. <laughs> she's not motor skill impaired on any level. She speaks just beautifully and she's upright and she's moving and she's got full use of her extremities. You run into all kinds of people in the world and they've had and been through so many things that we don't know. And yet they come out of that dark place and they come into the light this time and the next time and the next time and the next time. Abarjani says, the death of a dream can in fact serve as a vehicle that endows it with new form, with it reinvigorated substance, a fresh flow of ideas and splendidly revitalized color. In short, the power of a certain kind of dream is such that death need not indicate finality. It need not indicate finality at all, but rather signify a metaphysical and metaphorical leap forward. So has anybody in here experienced, I thought I was gonna do this with my life and you went in that direction and all of a sudden you're like, uh, <laughs> I'm very proud, but you know, this is not what I thought it was gonna be, right? You put all this energy and this effort and you went there and then you're like, wow. 
You know, for me, I was living in New York. I was teaching acting, and I was, you know, an actress, and I had dedicated my whole life there, and then 9-11 happened. Something shifted, you know, not just in that, you know, five blocks from me, but, you know, something shifted in the world. Something shifted in my heart. Something shifted in what I needed. And I was happy. I was happy doing what I was wa wanted to be. I had no, I had no desire to move in any other direction but that. But one day I was looking out my nine-story window in Chelsea, and I was like, wow, I need to see the sky. I need to be able to come out doors every single day and see the sky. And for me, that just meant that I came back to California, and I thought it meant that I needed a balcony on my apartment. <laughs> That's all I could think or see that would be affordable, you know. Look where I ended up. Now, like a blossom, do you know what I mean? Year after year, it had to grow to this spot. But, you know, when we landed here and when, when we were evicted from the city when the puppies were born, <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> That's when that dream took me to this dream that I couldn't have even put on a piece of paper, except that something inside of me, when I talk about that voice, said, you need to be able to see the sky, the whole sky. That's all it said. And so I marvel at those little things, you know, where you find your way and you understand what happened, you know, all the way back then that got you to here. And it's fascinating. Deepak Chopra says the best way to get rid of, a, of the pain is to feel the pain. And when you feel the pain and go beyond it, you'll see there's a very intense love that is wanting to awaken itself. First thing you want to do is relieve pain, right? You get a pain, you go, oh, how do I relieve this? <laughs> so the intention already is to find out what the cause is and go there so you can alleviate the pain. But if you pretend the pain is not there, what do you, you know, denial is not a river in Egypt. And I hate to say it, but if, if you embrace the pain as it, it begins, you can find an answer a lot sooner than if you don't address it and try to pretend it's not there. And then many people try to anesthetize the pain and get into even worse trouble. And now years have gone by, and there's another pain that you have to recover from. And it snowballs down just because pain is so uncomfortable. And emotional pain and psychological pain is much worse than physical pain. It is the one that we want to escape from the most because we don't have the faith to kind of go through your humanity your human process, your compassion, which is why you're hurting in the first place, your level of empathy, which is why you're hurting in the first place. Did you take care of the baby, Chinua? She's our babysitter. Just so you know. <laughs> She's like, is she is okay? Did you check him out? Good girl. 
good girl. You did good. <laughs> I know. She came to take care of it. Kenji Miyazawa says, we must embrace pain and burn it as a fuel for our own journey. Light it up, guys. <laughs> you know? Light it up. Let it inform you. It is more painful not to address it. I'm so guilty by that, while I'm saying this. <laughs> I am so guilty. But every time I do, an awakening happens behind it. Every time I do, I find out more information. I learn more about myself. I learn more about the world. And I learn more about how to help others who are going through the same thing. with my humanity intact. And sometimes that even hurts, you know? And yet, what else am I supposed to do? Suffer? More? That is a choice. I choose to step into the unknown of whatever that is and be willing to hear whatever it's telling me. That's the other thing. You know, we don't wanna know. <laughs> We don't want to know that deep, dark, ugly thing, a piece of mud, you know, decaying thing, and pull it out and look at it. And every single time I talk about this, the only thing you can do with that mess inside of you is to bring it up, look at it, and love on it. It's not something to fix. It's not something to destroy. It's not something to eradicate. It is something to look at and go, wow, look what happened to you. Maybe if I just love on that piece of myself, maybe that will give me the peace and love and harmony and balance that I need in my life. And maybe it'll go from this dark, ugly mess into this beautiful, pure crystal because I set the love free for myself. Because I remember who I am. Precious and complete and so are you I beg you to tell me what else you could be what can you possibly be other than that in all of creation Abhijani also says this hearts rebuilt from hope resurrect dreams killed by hate Sometimes you don't just walk into a dream. Sometimes people come in and kill it, try to annihilate it, try to stomp on it, try to take it and steal it. I'm not saying that's not ever going to happen to you again. <laughs> I keep thinking the last time was going to be the last time ever. But I can't control what other people's intentions are. I can only control my own. And I can set love free and I can surround myself with it and I can have faith and hope that I will draw in like energy to like energy. And then go from there and be able to recognize someone who is a damaged soul that needs to suck my dream 
Do you know what I mean? And just recognize it before it gets to me. I can't do better than that. Anything I've ever done, Betty Bender says, that ultimately was worthwhile initially scared me to death. I talk about I came back to California after going, being in New York. When I wanted to go to New York, it was my 36th birthday, and I wanted a new adventure. And um, after I sold everything and gave up my apartment, I had no keys. <laughs> I was like... I have to tell you, that was the scariest thing about moving to New York. So I didn't have a key. I didn't have a key to a home. I didn't have a key to a car. I had a, I had a key to my suitcase. And it nearly stopped me in my tracks. I spent about 10 minutes going, wow. Oh. I had a plane ticket and a friend to stay with, and that was it. No keys for the next two weeks. And of course, everybody says, you can't move to New York if you don't know where you're, where you're going to live, where you're going to work. They eat people like you for breakfast, Colette, in New York. That's what people were telling me. Now, it didn't stop me, but man, when I didn't have those keys. <laughs> it was one of the scariest moments of my life. Because you don't go back from there. You don't go back from there. You get on the plane and you trust that it's going to work out. And it did. Obviously, it did. I loved it. I've stayed 11 years until a national disaster and a national terror attack, you know, made it feel too dark to live in for my spirit. Will Smith says, everything you want is on the other side of your maximum fear. So for anybody who thinks those kind of careers, when you get to the, to the level of Will, Will Smith, like it's just easy and you're, they're lucky, you know, this is what he says. Everything you want is on the other side of your maximum fear. That just tells me that he's scared to death all the time with every adventure, with every project. And if anybody's in that business, if you are a superstar on the level that he has been, they bank on you. They bank on you. You take a job and it doesn't work out. Your history, the risk and what projects you accept, how it gets executed, how good you are in it has everything to do with whether they will allow you and put money behind you to do it again. That's terrifying. It's terrifying. Doris Mortman says, until you make peace with who you are, you'll never be content with what you have. How can you be grateful if you don't know that you're a gift? And how can you fulfill your divine destiny if you don't know who your neighbor is? You don't know who your your family is, that you can't recognize, you know, yourself and our humanity and our lightness and our heart and our oneness together. How do we build a life that has that kind of peace and light in it to fulfill a dream? Zora Neale Hurtson says, love makes your soul call out from its hiding place. <laughs> 
I remember those times that I was so scared and so distrustful and so hurt and so damaged that I hid myself. This was before I remembered who I was. So every time it got too overwhelming for me, it would take me about three months of hibernation. Of course, I had to pay my bills, so I'd go to work. But I'd even hibernate there. I'd even hibernate there and then go home. And then gradually I would come out and take the chances again. But that was an off and on part of my life for almost 50 years. That's how it worked for me. Bob Moed says, you can't make footprints in the sand of time by sitting on your butt. And who wants to leave butt prints in the sand of time? <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> the reason I love it is because you can go easier on yourself with that quote. Right? For those of you who have had those times where you take a break, do you know what I mean? When you couldn't move. When you hit the pavement and you didn't hit it running. You hit it skidding and then you had to recover. You know? But you're not here to make butt prints. <laughs> but that's easy on my heart to remember those times when I was so disappointed in life and then got disappointed in myself. You know what I mean? That created even more shame so that I couldn't get up and do anything except sit on my butt and hope that one day I'd get up and go after my dream again. So if anybody is listening to the sound of my voice that's in that spot right now, just laugh at this butt print idea, right? <laughs> as long as you've got legs that work and feet that work and hands that work, you can get up off the sand and you can create a castle. can't get up right now, just create your dream in the sand. Build a vision board and draw it. Get some joy. Go back to the, your inner child who loved to create and draw the future and pretend you were a mermaid in the sea. You know? You want your heart back? Go back to where your childhood, you know, started in those dreams that would lead you to the next step, to the next step, to the friends you could hang out with and go swimming in the ocean with. You find each other. An optimist, uh, <laughs> this is the definition of an optimist that I found. Sometimes, oh, an optimist is someone who figures that taking a step backward after taking a step forward is, now, is not a disaster, it's more like a cha-cha. <laughs> so I took two steps forward and then I got, you know, knocked back like three or four, right? Now, if this is the disaster, how do I get forward again? Or you just cha-cha and keep going, and then you keep going, and soon you're just, you know, inching forward, and then you can turn, <laughs> Right? These are the kind of images I talk about touchstones, you know, and it's like I love these kind of quotes because they give you a break. They give you a break in your journey so that you don't have to be a perfectionist at it. You can just be human and keep going and find people that love on you and love on yourself. Abhijani says, souls reconstructed with faith transform agony into peace. 
faith can have a, a difficult meaning to a lot of people. You know, a leap of faith, trusting in the unknown. This is my definition. Faith is knowing that there is an intelligent force, seen and unseen, that connects us to each other and all living things. This magnificence lives, creates, and expresses itself through us, fulfilling our hearts and souls with love, beauty, and wisdom. This blessing empowers us to accomplish greatness. So a lot of people describe faith as what you believe. Do you know what I mean? That's going to save you. So if that's true, what is going to save you? You are magnificent. <laughs> you are magnificent. Can you grasp that and have faith in that and have that belief? And that the creation and all of creation and the oneness that we share in that amount of energy that I talked about before, that you can leap wherever you want to go and that you will have the energy and the backing and the forces that you will attract to yourself. The law of cause and effect, they don't call it a law for nothing. It's a scientific fact. They have proven it. If you have a thought and a dream and a life, that is your cause. You have an effect. You get a choice of what that effect is going to be, no matter what your circumstances, despite appearances to the contrary. There is also a law of attraction that like things attract like things. Antoinette just pulled five pair of frogs out of our pond and removed them and took them to Elizabeth Lake. <laughs> this is not the habitat for them. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the male frogs are like half the size of the female frogs. And they ride on top of them. And they lay billions and billions and billions of eggs. These strings and strings of eggs. And the reason why they have to move is because when those eggs hatch, they have to build algae in order to live in so that they can build enough algae that they can walk on and get out of the water when they finally get there. And that can drown my wolves, so they have to go. Right? Isn't it? How'd they choose? How'd they choose each other? Do you know? Do we know scientifically how one frog chooses that frog? I don't know. Law of attraction. <laughs> it's like, wow, is it okay? Shall we do this? They work in a cooperative. They don't talk like we do, but I know they had some kind of cooperation. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to procreate. <laughs> and one wouldn't climb on top of the other. Just like us. <laughs> what is the law of attraction? How does that work? We have ducks. We had 30, right? The rains came and a pair came back. You see pairs everywhere. We've got a robin building a nest right in our front yard. You know? Nobody has to tell them whether they're okay or not, whether they're lovable enough or not. <laughs> When am I going to find mine, right? The law of attraction. They find each other much more easily than us because we're just looking too hard. 
or working too hard. Set love free. It'll find you. It's unmistakable. It can't possibly happen in every other form of life except us. And then we are really from outer space. <laughs> and even then, isn't that part of the universe? You know? <laughs> so, there you go. White Eagle says this, flowers do not force their way with great strife. Flowers open to perfection slowly in the sun. Don't be in a hurry about spiritual matters. Go step by step and be very sure. Lao Tzu, who I don't know if you know this, is, is the, um, was about the same time as Confucius and Buddha, and it, he is the founder of the Tao. He says this, do the difficult things while they are easy and do the great things while they are small. A journey of a thousand miles must begin with a single step. If you are measuring your process and your success by the end result, you're going to be unhappy every single moment of your day. That's what I call suffering. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And some inner wisdom when I was in my 20s really understood I, a lot of people who said, well, if I haven't made it by 30, I'm just going to quit. I'm like, that's five years from now. <laughs> I, I don't think I need to quit. Well, you know, I couldn't understand the quit part. Do you know what I mean? It was like I didn't understand that, and yet they were totally serious. So they were they were going to measure their life success by the time they get to 30. How many people in here are 30 and over? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Can you imagine if you were done now? I've had five careers since then. Literally, I've had five careers since then. You can be over. Your gift is not over until it's over. And even then, I don't think it's over. I think it carries forward. Abhijani says, a bridge of silver wings stretches from the dead ashes of an unforgiving nightmare to a jeweled vision of a life started anew. That's the resurrection I want from those dark times. <laughs> I want to come out, you know, shining like a gem. Even if you have to kind of scrub it to find it, like scrub the dirt off, right? Dust it off, polish it a little bit. Do you know what I mean? That's what you are. There's no amount of mud that can sling on you. Do you know what I mean? From the outside that can't wash off, that can't just even fall off. You guys heard of the lotus flower? One of the bi biggest compliments of my life is I had um, a bartender <laughs> that I worked with, and he was Chinese, and he, um, I was having a bad time, a rough time, really rough time. And I was crying at work one day, and he, he said, and I went over, and I thought he was going to tell me something because he was a really tough bartender that I'd, you know, that I'd broken a rule or something. And he says, Colette, you're like a lotus flower. Lotus flower grows in the mud. When the mud splashes on the petals, they fall over, and the mud slides off. He goes, that's you. That's all of us. 
that's who we are to each other. I will never forget that. Saved my life that day. That idea that I could draw on every time I thought it was not going to happen and not going to work. I could just see myself opening up into this white flower in the mud just kind of sliding off. You can live a whole life on that image. You know? That was his gift to me. I'm giving it to you. Like I said before, we can spread. We can set our love free and help each other. Abrishani, oh, what a wonderful soul, so bright inside you. Got power to heal the sun's broken heart. Power to restore the moon's vision, too. Wow. Wow, we can do that. That's what's in us to do. I have to, I, I put this in here because I need to do it. Rochelle Goodrich says this, one day a week I seek to rest from earthly toil and sorrows. Revitalized, I find the strength to battle new tomorrows. For anyone who does not have a day off. Now that's every mother in the room. <laughs> you know? But those times have to be scheduled in. Do you know what I mean? Or life gets pretty hard. I've been hangry way too often this week. You guys know what that means? <laughs> too busy to eat, and then I'm done. I'm cooked. You know, don't come near me. You know, I yelled at a customer service person this week. <laughs> I never do that. But they had some kind of policy that was so ridiculous, I can't even tell you, and I was hangry. And as I was yelling, I'm saying, I know this isn't your fault, and I'm sorry I'm yelling at you, but this policy that they're making you do as your job is ridiculous. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> In a nice, soft voice. <laughs> but I was so tired and so hangry, I couldn't stop the level of my voice, you know? But it was up to me to make sure that she wasn't taking it personally, even though I know it landed personally. How could it not? I was yelling. I was angry. That energy hit her. And now I can't take that back, except that I did say, I know that this isn't your fault. Roland Dahl says this, and above all, watch the glittering eyes, the whole world around you, because the greatest secrets are always hidden in the most unlikely places. Those who don't believe in magic will never find it. There's where that faith comes in. What do you have faith in? Faith is easy when you remember who you are. Hard to believe in if you don't. Rumi says, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. <laughs> I set out to change the world. I wanted to. I wanted to, and I was a wreck of a person. They used to call me a walking open wound. 
because I thought the world would be easier to change than to change myself. I thought if I worked on the world, I could do better jobs than what I could do for myself. This is not easy, living a conscious light life, setting love free all the time. Jamie Sams from Vision Quest, she is a native teacher that I just love. She says this, you have worked hard to become all that you can be, and that effort is a rare gift. The healing that all human beings can expect along the red road of physical life is available when they celebrate life and give thanks for the truth. She also says this, truth is the final destination of any seeker's path. When the truth is found inside of the self, there is no need to look further. Tell the truth even when it hurts. Cheryl wrote a new song, and she's here on Easter to sing this beautiful, beautiful song that I haven't heard the music to yet, but I've only read the lyrics to, and it is called Set Love Free. So let her come and sing to you right now. This is the first time I've sang it in public or in front of anyone, so um, come listen to that. <laughs> How would there be a day without the night? Darkness wouldn't disappear without the light. And how could you see if you never believe? How would you find your courage without your fear? Laughter wouldn't sound as sweet without your tears. And how could you choose if there's nothing to lose? Could you let go of something you love and set it free? Could you trust it will come back if it's meant to be? How would there be a flower without the rain? Your heart wouldn't know joy without the pain. And how could you fly if you never fall? Could you let go of something you love and set it free? Could you trust it will come back if it's meant to be and it's what you need? Every heart gets broken, but every prayer that's spoken 
of something you love and set it free. Could you trust it will come back if it's meant to be? Won't you set love free and look inside? Love will never leave when you find the strength. You have the strength to set love free. Ray Bradbury says, Everyone must leave something behind when he dies. Something your hand touched some way, so your soul has been somewhere and has some place to go when you die. It doesn't matter what you do so long as you change something from the way it was before you touched it into something that's like you after you take your hands away. Leave that legacy, right? So, well, namaste, everybody. <laughs> oh, happy Easter. <sighs> Thank you.